Our righteous Heavenly Father, we come to you and we adore you. That though you are a God who is great and mighty and sovereign, who holds the heart of kings in your hands, who um, set the course of the stars and moon that know, has sovereignty over every inch of creation, though you have all power and authority, you tell us that you are our shepherd. The shepherd that holds us close, that rescues us from the peril of the precipice and finds us when we have wandered. You feed us, you lead us, you care for us, you protect us. And Father, we confess we are so easily distracted by the things of this world that we leave the safety of the sheepfold under the tutelage and watchful eye of the Good Shepherd, and we wander after silly things and worthless things and vain things, things that are salt water to our soul, things that lead us in the path of destruction. And we confess that you are our good shepherd and the shepherd cares for his sheep. He knows his sheep and he rescues his sheep. As we sang this morning, we are prone to wander, but our God is a redeeming God. Father, I come to you today and I lift up the needs of our congregation for those in the congregation that are struggling in their homes, in their jobs, those who are struggling to meet, make ends meet, who um, are, feel that they are wallowing in uh, the overwhelming circumstances of, Lord, of life, we pray that they would go to their Good Shepherd who provides our daily bread, and trust Him that He knows what we need, when we need it, in the amount that we need. Father, I specifically lift up Dave Curry this morning. He is our brother. He is your child. He is your sheep. And as he struggles with um, the after effects of his chemotherapy, Lord, that he would feel the rod and the staff that lead and guide and comfort him. May he find sweetness in your word, comfort by the hymns of the church, and the sweet fellowship of the believers and his brothers and sisters in Christ, that he would make much of you and who you are as he walks through the valley. Father, be with us this morning as we hear from your word. Break down our prejudice, break down our preconceived notion, break down our distractions and our waywardness that we may have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And that we would go forth from here with a better understanding of who our shepherd is, who we are, and what we are called to do and called to be. 
In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We uh, finished Colossians last week, and uh, now we begin, um, over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at um, the Bible, I called it Shepherd the Flock, the call to faithful biblical leadership. So we'll be looking at 1 Timothy, next week Titus, we'll be looking at 1 Peter 5, and then also uh, uh, Acts chapter 20, how the shepherds of the church, who are they to be, their call, their conduct, their honor. Um, but, and then after those four weeks, we will venture into, back over to the Old Testament, and we're going to take a detour from Zephaniah, and we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, um, where one of the greatest confessions of faith in a sovereign God is found, and I pray that it will guide us uh, and it will teach us who our God is. He is sovereign, and He is faithful, and He keeps His promises. So with that being said, we turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In Psalm 23, as we read in our responsive reading, the words are this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. These are probably some of the most beloved scriptures and verses in all of Scripture. I have read this many times at the gravesides of your loved ones. Um, you have prayed this verse. You have studied this verse. You have memorized this verse for many years. And we realize that this is the metaphor. This is the picture that God uses and gives His people about the relationship between God and His people. The Lord is our shepherd and He has a shepherd's heart. It's no surprise, though, as you continue to read through the pages of the Old Testament about how there are shepherds that arise. And we immediately are drawn to John chapter 11, where Jesus says and declares and echoes the words of Psalm 23 when he says, I am what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus cares so deeply for his sheep that he is willing to love them self-sacrificially. He loves them when they wander, when they're reckless, when they're foolish, and he loves the sheep even when they bite. Christ are, is our good shepherd, but he does not shepherd the flock alone. He is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, but he also uses under-shepherds. Men who are equipped by God to tend to and oversee the spiritual needs of the flock. One of the promises that Jeremiah has that Mike read for us this morning, Jeremiah 23, verse 4, he says, I will set shepherds over them, and I will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any of them be missing, declares the Lord. 
Throughout all of the Old Testament, you see that God, who is our great shepherd, utilizes under-shepherds, whether it be the priests in the Old Testament, the prophets, and now in the New Testament, there are shepherds as well that He gives to us. Shepherds who tend to and oversee their flock, not on their own wisdom, not on their own account, but by the Word of God. Shepherds who preach and teach the Word of God. Shepherds who lovingly rebuke according to the statutes of the Word of God. Shepherds who gently correct by the standards of the Word of God. And shepherds who train the flock up in righteousness according to the Word of God. See, brothers and sisters, it is the Word of God that shapes not only the flock, but the Word of God that shapes the shepherd. It's imperative also that the flock knows the Word of God. So that the flock is able to determine between those who genuinely desire the noble task of acting as an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ and those hired laborers or hired hands, as Jesus says, who are only in the work of shepherding for money and prestige and influence. And when times get rough and times get difficult, and the sheep are a bit surly, they run because they don't care for the flock. Brothers and sisters, over the next course of the next four weeks, we'll be looking at the character, the nature, the calling, and the honor of the shepherds of the flock of God. Now you are thinking this may be a problem. He's talking about shepherds, and he is our shepherd of this little flock. Uh, is he going somewhere? No, I'm not going anywhere. I promise. Well, you have a pastor, uh, and I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. But I want you to know that faithful biblical leadership never has a shepherd she, um, leading the flock by himself. The faithful model in Scripture is a plurality of shepherds leading the flock. To shepherd a a flock, even as tiny as our little church, is not the way that God intended it. it. God never intended for one man to serve as a shepherd. It is unwise, it is dangerous, and quite frankly, it's unbiblical. God has designed that the shepherding responsibilities be done by a plurality of shepherds, those who derive their um, means of living, their paychecks from the ministry, and those who derive their paychecks from outside vocation. Ocean Park, what we will be doing over the course of the next four weeks, I want you to listen well. Take notes. If you're not a note taker, grab a pen, grab your bulletin, start taking some notes because you have homework to do. I want you to listen to these things. I want you to pray about these things. And then I want you to consider. We, in about a month, we will have a members meeting and I will call you to write down on a piece of paper men who you believe are faithful shepherds of the flock. Men who are already doing the work of shepherds without necessarily the title. That have been faithful to do that. Men of character, men of conviction. Men who love God's Word to serve alongside of me as equals. As 
elders, as overseers, as fellow shepherds. I want to be a healthy church. And a healthy church must have a plurality of shepherds. So with that being said, if you're not already there, if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, as, as Spencer read us. And Paul is writing in 1 Timothy, he is writing from himself, obviously, to Timothy, who bears the name of the book. He is writing and he gives the reason in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the reason he is writing. And notice verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, if I can't come, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. See, what Paul is doing in 1 Timothy is he's laying out the blueprint for the church. He's explaining what proper worship should be, what proper leadership should be, and what proper function within the body it should have. And in this contents, what Paul is doing is now laying out the qualifications for the shepherds of the church. And um, a task which he says in chapter 3, verse 1, those who pursue this calling with the right uh, humility and with a sincere heart are actually pursuing a noble task. It is a good thing that they are pursuing. So to you must know this morning, Ocean Park, and my big idea is this, and you'll see it a lot today, faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. Faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. Now, what I need to do is do a quick aside, and it doesn't really fit into the outline, but I need to do some lexical work, and I know Scott, who's a language guy, is getting all excited because he sees Greek words on the wall. Uh, And there's no quiz that's coming, so he's all geeked up. You have three synonyms for the title of the names of one offices. Three words, one office. The first is overseer. Overseer is what Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's actually the word episkopos. And if you listen closely, you can hear episcopal, uh, that kind of thing. That's where the, the episcopal word comes from. Uh, some of your, if you have a New King James or King James, it kind of murkies the water and it uses the word bishop. Uh, but really, the best translation is overseer there because there, it's a Greek understanding, a Greco-Roman understanding, describing the responsibilities of the office to oversee the flock. So they call overseer. The second one is elder or presbyterois. And uh, if you listen closely, you can hear Presbyterian. That's where we get that from. And it's really the Hebrew understanding of the office where men of honor and men of character are, are, have been set in a place of honor within the, within the flock. So you have overseers, elders, same word, or same, same office, different words. And then you have shepherd, poimain. And shepherd is, is one who tends for or one who cares for the sheep. And you're like, where's the word pastor in all of this? Good question. I'm glad you thought that. Um, pastor actually comes from the Latin word for shepherd. And so when we talk about I am a pastor, they're actually saying I am a shepherd of the flock. So you have three names Um, overseer, elder, and shepherd, and you have one office. Now, Scott's going to geek out on this one, too. Um, This is Acts chapter 20. 
Uh, we'll look at it in a few weeks, 17 and 18, and also verse 28. And you can see where all three of these words are used, describing one office, one set of men, but using it in different, different synonyms there. So Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, the, the presbyteroids of the church. And when they had um, come to him, he said to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Episcopos. And then he said, Poim, to um, shepherd the flock of the church of God, which he purchased with his body. You can see in the New Testament throughout that these named are, names are used synonymously and interchangeable to explain one office, one responsibility, one group of men that are in the church. So you have um, that. So back to our regular scheduled programming, which reminds us that faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. So as we look through, and there's 15 different words that describe the qualifications of a shepherd. And uh, Alistair Begg, who's a much better preacher than me, had 15 points to his sermon. John Stott, who's a lot better than me, had 10. Um, I boiled it down to seven. Uh, I'm not as good as them, so I couldn't stretch it out as far. But uh, ultimately, the, there is one word that summarizes all of these qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that word is above reproach. One word in the Greek, two in English. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to put it in one. Uh, maybe the KGV has the word blameless. Um, but it is above reproach. And the heart of a shepherd of Christ's flock is a man who is above reproach. And it doesn't mean that he is without sin, because if that were the case, no one would be qualified to do that, especially me, but rather a man who possesses an ex exemplary reputation and whose observable content, uh, conduct is unquestionable. Above reproach means that he is not working an angle. He's not living a double life. He is not, there are no valid grounds for criticism either, either, either in his Christian life or his general life. The Bidi Anwilibe, I didn't say it right, but I got his first name right, writes this. He says, being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man who no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such a thing. He's saying that they're above reproach and that if somebody says something about an elder, they'd be like, listen, I've known him, I've watched him, I've seen his, his home, I've seen all of this, and I just don't believe that. And this is why following the biblical qualifications for an office of shepherd is so important because as we so often see on the in the newspaper and on television is unqualified men who are in it for the wrong reasons and they have brought shame upon the church upon the name of Christ and just caused deep wounds on the sheep of which the Lord says woe to you shepherds who harm my sheep and a man can have amazing talent. He can have unmatched skills and powerful preaching ability. But if he's not above reproach, he will hurt the sheep and bring shame to the name of Christ. 
So God has designed His church to be led by shepherds, faithful shepherds of Christ's flock who model lives of character and integrity. Now, when you are reading through the text here, you'll notice it says above reproach and it has a comma. Reality, the essence and the heart of this, it should have a colon. And meaning that everything that follows is a summary or breaking down the individual components of what it means to be above reproach in his life, in his teaching, in his home, in his deportment. So with that being said, I give you my seven points, I think, eventually. There it is. A faithful shepherd is to be above reproach in his marriage, in his self-mastery, in his ministry, in his self-control, in his household, in his maturity, in his reputation. I only got four of them with M's. I tried hard, but I just couldn't get the alliteration broke down because it's not three points in a poem. Um, But ultimately, I want to look at these uh, seven points briefly. Uh, You could do a sermon on each one of these. I want you to notice that uh, faithful shepherds are above reproach in their marriage. Just four little words above reproach. I'm sorry, a husband of one wife. This, these four words are fraught within uh, theological debate and much ink has been spell, spilled trying to figure out what these words mean. Who is Paul excluding from shepherding the flock of God? And arguments have been made that um, a, 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 an elder, an overseer has to be married. He can't be divorced. You can't get remarried after your wife died, even though your vows say till death do us part. And you can't be a polygamist. And I wholeheartedly agree with that last one. Um, I have my hands full with one wife. I can't imagine others. Uh, And I say that because I've married way above my head and trying to honor her. But the heart of a man that is above reproach and is married is this. He is faithful to his wife. He is literally a one-woman man whose heart is true to his marriage in thought and in word and in deed. He's not a flirt. He's not handsy. He doesn't have a wandering eye. He doesn't make women feel uncomfortable with lewd remarks. Let me ask you, how can an overseer um, shepherd the flock and exercise discipline and authority in the church if he's unfaithful to his wife and inappropriate towards other women? How can a shepherd call people to repent of sexual sin if he does not repent of his own sin? How can can an elder teach the sacredness of marriage when he is flippant towards his own? And the answer, quite simply, he simply cannot. Ocean Park, faithful shepherds are above reproach in their marriages by faithfully loving their wives and honoring their marriages. For faithful shepherds of Christ's flock live lives of character and integrity in their marriages. The second area is his self-mastery. And he uses three quick words uh, to describe how an elder, an overseer, a shepherd has um, self-mastery. He's sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. An elder is a man who is above reproach in how he disciplines himself in his thoughts, in his words, in his actions. 
To be sober-minded means that he does not have, he has a clear head and he's restrained. He's not given to wild mood strings or swings or knee-jerk reactions. He thinks before he speaks and he considers his path before he takes action. Not only is he sober-minded, but he's self-controlled. His inner life is marked by discipline. He is careful with his actions and prudent with his words and emotions. Not only is his inner life disciplined, but his outer life is disciplined as well. He is virtuous, he is orderly, and he is well-behaved. You don't have to worry about your pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer being rude and dismissive and obnoxious because he is prudent and he is respectable and he is self-controlled. Now, again, as you read through these, especially this week as the elder of the church right now, such words are heavy and they're difficult because I realize my sinfulness. We all have feet of clay. But ultimately, an elder can be trusted to control his passions and emotions because he is bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. And often we think of the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and what's the next one? Self-control. Alexander Strzok in his great book on biblical, um, biblical eldership writes, says this, he says, much more damage is done to our churches by out-of-control anger than we care to admit. An elder, a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer is not driven by revenge and anger. Uh, he is temperate and self-controlled, controlling himself. He must be able to uh, control his passions and his lusts and emotions before he can expect it to help his flock control their passions and their lusts and their emotions. Faithful shepherds, Ocean Park of Christ's flock, must be above reproach in how they master their passions and emotions because faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity in their marriage and in their self-mastery. The third, oh my. Would you go back, um, Scott, or, or, or actually I got it, I think. Um, actually, go back, okay, never mind, right there. Um, next three, uh, where was I? Okay, big idea, got that. Ministry, excellent. Back to focus, grasshoppers. Ministry. Two words, the next two words generally describe the ministry of an overseer, a shepherd of God's is hospitable and able to teach. A shepherd is called to share his life with the flock. He doesn't stand aloof over the sheep. He doesn't bark out orders from a distance. He does not rule from an ivory tower. Biblical shepherds smell like the sheep because they live amongst the sheep. The reality is they are sheep. The faithful minister, ministry of shepherds is to be seen two ways, in hospitality and in teaching. Hospitality is literally translated a love for strangers. I believe my son has that, that gift, that spiritual gift of hospitality. We're working on stranger danger. But in the first century, um, there were no hotels. There were no Motel 6s and Ritz-Carlton's where Christian travelers and evangelists could stay. And often, it was in the homes of the shepherds that the travelers would stay. And they would find refuge and comfort and safety there in the hospitality of the elders. 
Today, it can be simple as opening your home to have a family over for dinner, allowing college students to make your home a home away from home, or hosting a Bible study in your home. Hospitality is opening your life for the work of the gospel. One of my coworkers uh, at seminary on one of her boards has this. It says, ministry happens in the interruptions. And it's so incredibly true. When a shepherd opens his life, his home, and his resources, there may be times when the sheep wander in inconveniently, but it's those times when the best shepherding opportunities are given to you. Just think of your children. You want them to talk and have deep thoughts, but they don't. But usually around 11 o'clock at night, when you're tired, they want to talk about the deep mysteries of the world. And as a parent, those are your gospel moments. Those are your shepherding moments to shepherd your children's heart. Likewise, it is that same way with the sheep and the shepherds, that even when it is convenient, you are hospitable in opening your lives to the sheep. Not only are shepherds to be hospitable, but they're to be teachers. Teaching is the calling of the shepherds. It's very important that um, we're not talking about deacons today, but deacons aren't responsible for the teaching. Deacons are actually the arms and the hands of the elders and the, and the pastors. They're the ones that go care for the physical needs of the congregation, where the elders, shepherds, overseers are the ones that care for the spiritual needs. And you can see this, uh, that the, it's the shepherds, they're not coddling the sheep, they're not enabling the sheep, they're not pacifying the sheep, they're teaching the sheep because the, the stakes are high. Notice, keep your finger in 1 Timothy 3, but flip over to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Notice, how important the teaching is from the shepherds. So by, by so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Shepherds must know the word of God and be able to communicate the word of God. Now, in a plurality of shepherds, you're going to have different gifts. As one, as a shepherd who has gone to seminary, who has preached many a sermons, and, and prayerfully I'm getting better. I've been here five years. Um, I remember back when Denise and I, I went down to Piatone, Illinois. There were about 12 people that would show up. If everybody showed up, they had about four rows, half the size of this, and I preached some brutal sermons. Um, but they listened and they, they said, you're preaching the Word of God, even though sometimes it's painful. And uh, over time, the, the shepherds grow in their gifts and their ministry, and they get stronger and better communicators of God's Word. Some shepherds are gifted in preaching. Some shepherds, they're not good uh, public communicators, but they're wonderful teachers one-on-one. -on -one or in group settings, or their counseling. Their counseling is just bathed in Scripture and pointing people to Scripture. So the shepherds, and this is the, the health of a plurality, is that different strengths and weaknesses, gifting, all work together to faithfully shepherd the flock according to the Word of God. All, not all shepherds teach the same way, but all shepherds have the responsibility to teach the Word of God with clarity, coherence, and fruitfulness. Faithful shepherds must be above reproach in how they open their lives and open the Scriptures to the sheep. For faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. Not in only in their marriage and their self-mastery, but in their teaching 
Paul continues and he says that a um, shepherd is to um, shepherd the flock and be self-controlled. Notice he lists four vices. Um, Not only does a shepherd control the inner passions and emotions, but he is able to control the vices and the pitfalls that affect us from the outside. And he, note, he says four common pitfalls of shepherds. The first is he's not a drunkard. One of the pitfalls is alcohol. We live in a world where alcohol has devastating effects. Over 10,000 people last year were killed because of drunk driving incidents. We see families, we see lives, we see careers that are lost. Countless hundreds of thousands of people uh, are, are affected by the ravages of alcohol and their un- inability to control it. And so what Paul says here is that a shepherd God, of God must control alcohol, not alcohol controlling him. Then he goes to violence. A shepherd cannot be um, violent or literally a striker. And uh, he cannot be a person who is overcome by his anger and ruled by his rage with a short te- um, temper. Conflict will inevitably arise within the flock because the sheep bite, they wander, and they do stupid things. A shepherd with a violent temper, a rough, ha- heavy hand, will hurt the sheep. A shepherd must control his temper and not allow his temper to control him. Another vice that we see is quarrels. A faithful shepherd is not easily baited into petty debates and silly rabbit trails. Or as Paul tells Timothy, endless geneal- silly myths and endless genealogy. He knows what hills to die on and on how to avoid the myths and pointless arguments that distract us away from the gospel. The shepherd knows how to control his tongue and not allow his tongue to control him. The fourth area is money. Uh, I often say there are two things that get pastors in trouble most often is women, go back and see point one, and then number two is money. Paul, a couple, verses, a couple chapters later, chapter 6, verse 10, says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money can be a powerful temptation. It will tempt us to sacrifice our convictions, to compromise our integrity, and to cult- or change our message and sell out the gospel. A, me- a shepherd must be able to control his money, not have his money control him. Ocean Park, faithful shepherds of the flock must be above reproach on how they co- control the vices and temptations that surround us on a daily basis because faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. In our in vices and the temptations, but also in our households. Notice verse five, verse four and verse five. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keep his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The training ground for ministry is not the seminary. The training ground for ministry is the home. Seminary is important, let me tell you that. I know a lot of pastors need to go to seminary, but that's beside the point. 
that um, if a man cannot oversee his own home, he will not be able to oversee the house of God. Jesus taught us in the parables, he said, one who is faithful in very little will be faithful in much. If a man is faithful to lead his wife with self-sacrifice and faithfully teaches children in his, the, that are living in his home to love and honor the Lord, he will be prepared to navigate the challenges of leading the children of God. However, if he is self-centered and heavy-handed and neglectful towards his wife and her needs while being absent and harsh with his own children, how could he possibly lead the children of God? The word manage here, I love this, the word manage here in these verses is the same word that is used of the Good Samaritan how he managed, um, how he responded to the beaten traveler and cared for his needs and he supervised his care and concerns at great risk to himself after he had been beaten and left for dead. The very thing that shepherds are called to do is recognize and manage and care for the needs of the flock. If, as we consider this month about prospective elders of the church, first, watch how he leads, his, leads and instructs and disciplines his children. Is he harsh and cruel, or does he treat his children with dignity and love? Then watch how his children respond to him. Do they ignore him and treat his words as empty and meaningless? Do they scoff at his correction if there is? Or do they hold him in reverence and respect for him? And again, there's no elder that's perfect and there's no child that's perfect. And don't hold my children and the children of the elders at higher uh, standards than you hold your own. We're all called to emulate godliness and responsibility in our lives. Ocean Park, faithful, um, faithfulness leading his own household produces faithfulness leading the household of God. Faithful shepherds of Christ's flock must be above reproach in how they manage their own households for faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity in their households, but also in their maturity. In verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, he may be, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. A shepherd, an elder, an overseer, a pastor cannot be a new convert. The word literally means cannot be newly planted in the faith. And why do we say that? You think about the, uh, um, if you plant a tree, um, new trees are easily uprooted by conflict and winds. They're susceptible to weeds and roots of bitterness that um, entangle with their new sprouts. It, uh, and they can be easily overcome by streams of nature. To put a new Christian in leadership is unwise because he has not been given time to mature by the wisdom and experience that God's Word does. To, do, to put leadership too early on a new Christian is to set that person up for failure. Why? Because pride easily moves in and puffs that person up. 
And this, this word is really, there's a lot of lexical jewels in this this week. It means to literally to wrap something in a mist. Very much like when you're driving in the mountains of Tennessee, uh, going through the, the Smoky Mountains, and the fog covers the roadway some 20 feet in front of you, when you should be able to see down in the canyons and see uh, obstacles in the future and see the fact that you're hovering over the edge of a cliff. When the fog comes in, you cannot see the twists and the turns and the dangers that are ahead, and it changes your perspective. And when you are wrapped in the pride and the fog uh, in the midst, you do not see the perils that are coming and you fall to your doom, and the flock falls behind you. Oceanbark, the shepherd of flock must possess humility before God that is wrought by maturity, by experience, and by discipline in the Christian walk. See, shepherds know their lack, and they trust Christ's abundance. Shepherds know their inability while trusting Christ's ability. Shepherds know that they are weak, but they know that the good shepherd is strong. Oceanbark, faithful shepherds of Christ's flock must be above reproach with roots that run deep. For faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. And the final point is his reputation. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I always thought that this is sometimes it's an odd parameter, an odd qualification. Why in the world would we depend on the world to uh, vet our leaders when the world does not understand the gospel and quite honestly is very antagonistic towards the gospel? And in reality, they're not. They're not vetting our leaders, but they are a litmus, often a strong litmus test for considering the consisting faithfulness of the shepherds. Let me give you an example. Last night I came home and my neighbor um, was cooking, uh, grilling out uh, presumably some cheeseburgers or something like that. And um, what would happen this afternoon if she were to come over and said, hey, um, I was newly elected the local chapter president of PETA. And you would say, you were eating cheeseburgers yesterday, that's not, PETA would rather go naked than wear fur and rather starve than eat uh, meat. And that is not congruent. PETA members don't grill meat. Um, and, and, and they chain themselves to the grill so the meat can't be cooked. But it would be shocking because that's not congruent. That's not consistent with somebody who claims the name of PETA. Likewise, if you were to go to the work of a potential elder, or go to the work of an elder and ask that person, did you know that they were considering being an elder or they are an elder at the church? You would pray that they would say, oh, Absolutely rather than being in shock and they'd be like bob is a elder at your church he's a dirt ball i don't want to go to that church because you see what the world does the elders neighbors and co-workers um very easily see through the superficiality and they often see things that when the elder comes on sundays they're all churchy and say nice and they don't cuss in front of the people but when they leave six days they live like the devil that is not an acceptable life. The man that is in the church is the man that is in the office is the man that is in the home. 
There's consistency. He practices what he preaches. He lives and walks what he talks. There is no hypocrisy and there is no duplicity in his lifestyle. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't cuss like a sailor. He doesn't have inappropriate relations with female co-workers during the week and then go to church and act all holy and churchy and righteous. Those are the kind of people when the world says the church is full of hypocrites, I say, yes, because that's unacceptable. A person is not fit to be an elder, and quite honestly, that person is not fit to call themselves a Christian. Rather, if you go to their co-workers and say, I may not be a Christian, I don't agree necessarily what Bob does, but Bob works hard, and he works honestly and with integrity. He respects women. He doesn't gossip about his coworkers, and he doesn't cheat his customers. He is above reproach in his worldly endeavors. Ocean Park, a faithful elder, um, may, the hats may change, but the character doesn't. Otherwise, the double life will be exposed, and great shame will come upon him, and great shame upon the church, and great damage be done to the sheep. Faithful elders must model lives of consistent integrity in every context of their life, for faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity. Ocean Park, the call to the office of of the shepherd of the church is a noble calling, and it's reserved for a few men whose hearts and minds are in complete submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So often our church, we are looking, not our church, but church, Universal is looking for things that are not biblical. God's not looking for a CEO or business to streamline the flock, get giving up and to get discipleship more numbers. God's not looking for charismatic speakers or visionaries to inspire the flock. He's not looking for funny men to, inter- to entertain the flock or famous men to endorse the flock. He doesn't care. He cares nothing for prestige, for for handsome men, for talented men to make the, the, the flock popular and cool and relevant. What Jesus is calling of the shepherds is that they are be men of character and integrity to shepherd the flock of the Word of God, to resemble Jesus in every aspect of their life and serve as examples to the flock of how the gospel is lived out. You see, this is not just reserved for elders for overseers, for shepherd. We are all, as Christians, called to be above reproach in our lives, though we're not all called to serve in, the, in, the, in, in leadership as shepherds. Ocean Park, over the next month, I want you to pray. What men of the church are already modeling Christ to our flock on a consistent basis? Who among us is living a life that is above reproach at church and home and at work? Who can we look to as examples of how, who we can um, emulate and, and follow their life because their life is above reproach? The office of elder, of overseer, of shepherd is a noble calling. And it is necessary, a plurality of men guiding the congregation is necessary for the health of the church. So I want you to listen. A church never, never progresses beyond the spiritual maturity of its leaders. You need a plurality of men who are above reproach that are gifted and faithful 
that guard one another, um, protect one another, balance one another, keep one another in check, and pray that God will raise up faithful men here in our little flock who live lives above reproach. Pray that we will be faithful to recognize these men and follow their lead because a faithful shepherds of Christ's flock model lives of character and integrity.